0: Good evening, if you would take your Bibles and turn with me to 1st John chapter 5. <coughs> it has been a really long time since we've been in 1st John. It was back in early December that we were last in 1st John, if I remember correctly. Um, and we are actually finishing up the book tonight. And let me try and remind you of some of the key ideas that John has been seeking to communicate to his church If you remember, uh, John is the pastor of the church And he is writing to the church And he is reminding them of the truth of the gospel And the implications of the gospel That they will love one another And that if they fail to love one another It's either because they're failing to live out the truth of the gospel Or it's because they never accepted the truth of the gospel and he says, there are people who came in among us who were false teachers. They were never part of us. And so they have left. It's not shocking. But don't you dare follow that same path. Don't you dare. That is a dangerous path to be on. And John, over and over again, has laid out the fact that there are two drastically different paths that the believer or the professing believer can choose to follow. There is the path of love that leads to eternal life and there is the path of hatred that leads to eternal condemnation and as he's wrapping up this final segment of his letter he is writing the believers and he is telling the believers that prayer is their ultimate test of love prayer is the ultimate test of love and and what he means by that I think is that Love in you and I for one another. Genuine love will not simply care for people's physical needs as we see physical needs. He's addressed that. Love will do that, but it won't simply do that. Rather, it will also care for the erring brother in such a way that when we see one another Falling into sin or leaning towards sin, leaning towards idolatry is what John calls it. You and I will earnestly go before God the Father and pray for that erring individual so that they will be restored and reconciled to God. So love, my love, for you, your love, for me, will seek before God God the reconciliation of God with his saints. I, I chose the verbiage very purposefully because it's not that God seeks reconciliation with just anyone. Though There's a sense in which that's true. But there's a very real sense in which John, as he writes in 1 John chapter 5, verses 13 through 21, is, is very narrow in who he's saying God will pursue reconciliation with. And, and what he's saying, I believe, is Remember at the beginning of the letter we talked about the fact that there are some people who are not part of us? I'm not talking about those people. Those people who have made it obvious that they are denying the truth of the gospel. That they are pursuing a different gospel that is contrary to what I've taught you. I'm not saying pray for them. I'm saying pray for the reconciliation of those who have fallen into some other kind of sin people that have run off and have claimed the truth of some other false gospel that's posing as the true gospel, I'm not saying pray for them. They are not the saints of God. They cannot be reconciled in this same sense that he's talking about. If you would, take your Bibles. Let's read 1 John chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 13. I think verse 13 is a really good transition verse, and it connects some of the previous thoughts that we talked about earlier and it kind of helps the transition into these these comments that he has as he wraps up the end of his letter first john chapter 5 verses 13 through verse 21 these things i have written to you who believe in the name of the son of god that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the son of god now this is the confidence that we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. If anyone seeks his brother sinning a sin, which does not lead to death, he will ask and he will give him he will give him life for those who commit sin not leading to death. There is sin leading to death. I you not say that he should pray about that? All unrighteousness is sin. And there is sin not leading to death. We know that whoever is born of God does not sin. But he who has been born of God keeps himself and the wicked ones does not touch him. We know that we are of God, and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. Father, we do thank you for the truthfulness of your word. We thank you that we can be in relationship with you, that we can know you intimately, that we can be known by you intimately. We pray that you would help us to understand your word. We pray that you would help us to not be distracted by the cares and concerns of this world, that we would be able to understand your word, and that I would be able to communicate it clearly. In your name we pray. Amen. As Paul or as John is beginning to move into this final position, this final assertion that believers should demonstrate their love for one another by praying for one another, he begins by reminding them of their position. And he tells them: your position is found in Christ, and your position in Christ should make you confident. As you approach God. And so in verse 13 you see him using words that points to what? To their salvation, their hope that they have in Jesus Christ. Verse 13, these things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. That you may know that you have eternal life. And that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. And what does this lead to? This knowledge of Jesus Christ, this faith in Jesus Christ, leads to confidence. So having placed your faith in Christ, you have eternal life, but our position in Christ means our prayers are heard. Now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And while I don't think it completely encapsulates every idea because verse 15 is going to go on and expand the idea it is interesting that he doesn't just say if we ask anything according to his will skip to verse 15 we know that he hears us whatever we ask we know that we have the petitions we have asked of him why doesn't Paul just said or John just say, now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, skip all the way down to the middle of verse 15. We know that we have the petitions we have asked for him. Why doesn't he do that? Have you ever prayed and asked God to give you something that you didn't get? Yeah, probably, unless you really don't pray that much. You probably have asked God for something and you look back later and you're like I still haven't gotten what I asked for yeah. and it's almost like as John takes these believers on this reminder of their position and their responsibility to one another he says you have this responsibility <laughs> to pray and God hears you you know how many times you have uh, situation in your life where if somebody comes to you for advice and they don't really want advice, what do they want? They just want somebody to listen. You've had that happen, I've had that happen, and what do you do as a good friend? You just sit there and you listen. You're just with them. This happens when somebody goes through a time of mourning, this happens when somebody's going through a big trial, they most of the time know the theological truths that they need And they just wanna process all that's going on by talking to you. And I think that John is trying to communicate this idea that God cares, God knows, God listens, he hears you. Nothing that you are going through that you tell him doesn't reach him. He may not act in the way that you want because it may not be in his will, but he does hear, he does care, and he will use that situation Ultimately, for his good purpose. But he goes on and he says, Not only is your prayer heard because of your position in Christ, but your prayer is also answered because of your position in Christ. And that's what verse 15 then goes on to say. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. And up to this point, You look at John and he's telling you that you can have confidence to boldly approach God and to ask him for the requests that are on your heart and that are on my heart, right? And it seems like our prayers in the context so far are very personal prayers, things that I'm concerned about that I'm taking to God and God will hear me. But all of a sudden, as John finishes up verse 15... He takes that very self-centered idea that we may have developed from the passage up to this point and he says I'm not really talking about your personal prayer request for you I have something else in mind remember? What is is John trying to communicate to us? The true gospel that Jesus Christ came into the world that he died for sinners and that by placing our faith in him we receive new life yes indeed eternal life and that requires that you and i live in a drastically different way from the rest of the world around us that means that we're going to love one another and the care that we have for one another is going to be demonstrable in our actions and that's what john is getting ready to dive into he's going to say i'm not i'm not telling you all this so that you can You know, load got up with your personal prayer requests. No, what I'm what I'm doing is I'm developing the final case that you must love your fellow brother and sister in Christ by going to God in prayer for them, especially when you see them falling into. So he's developed the confidence. Our confidence is based in the fact that we are in relationship with Jesus Christ. That we've been forgiven our sins. That we've embraced the true gospel. But now he moves on and he says, Not only do we have confidence in our position, but we also have responsibility in our family. We are in communion. We are in a relationship that is pictured as a familial relationship. Scripture commonly speaks of us as what? Brothers in Christ, right? That is familial language. There are very few people that I call a brother, right? Why? Because it's very close-knit. And and what John is saying is, in this close-knit group, you have responsibility to one another. Now, the primary responsibility is love, but how he's practically applying that responsibility is you've got to pray for one another. Look at verse 16. If anyone sees his brother sinning away, sinning a sin which does not lead to death, he will ask. Ask who? He's not asking the person who's sinning. The context is, who are we asking? We're asking God. God to intervene in this individual who is sinning. And he's very specific. What kind of sin? It's a sin that does not lead to death. And I don't think that what John has in mind is simply physical death and sins that don't lead to physical death. He's not saying if you drink too much, you know, don't pray for that person because that might lead to death. And the person who's doing something that most likely won't lead to death as a natural result of that sin, pray for that person. That's not what he's saying. Uh, The idea is, I believe, spiritual loss of eternal life. Not as in they had it and they lost it, but their current path is leading to destruction because they've rejected the truth. That is who John is discussing throughout the gospel. This this letter is, there are two different groups. There are those who profess the true gospel, and there are those who profess a false gospel and who have left us. Why did they leave us? John has told us earlier that the reason why this group has left us is because they never were of us. And so he says we have a responsibility to pray for those who we believe are still in the faith when we see them erring, when we see them sinning. Our responsibility to our family then includes the idea that we will pray for those who err in their walk with God. Prayer for those who have left their walk with God is futile. Why? Because their hope, their faith, their trust, he says, never was in God. Now, you and I, can we perfectly know who these people are? No. Because you and I would both be able to sit down and tell stories of people who have watched, seem to completely walk away from the faith, and then a couple of years later, down the road, what happens? We see God work in their life and bring them back into fellowship, maybe with our body of believers or with another body of believers. And what happens? We rejoice in that. Okay. What he's doing is setting up basic principles. When you see somebody that you truly believe is a Christian, and they are walking down the path of hate... John says, Do not do what is hateful yourself by allowing them to persist in that path. Rather, go before the Lord who hears you and who answers your prayers and seek the restoration and reconciliation of that believer. That is the idea that he is saying. He goes on and he, he clarifies really well for us this idea in verse 17. Let me finish making sure we've uh, hit all the big ideas of verse 16. There is sin leading to death. I do not say that we should pray for about that. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is sin not leading to death. All violations of God's will are sin. But when somebody looks at the true gospel, they understand that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who was sent into the world to be the most perfect reflection of God possible. Why? Because he is God. And he lived a perfect, sinless life. He chose to go to the cross to pay the penalty for your sins and for my sins because we could not pay a sufficient penalty. And you look at that and you go, you know, I think I've got it on my own. I'll find a different path. That's something completely different Than falling into some other sin That is a rejection of the gospel And for somebody that's on that path They need to completely turn around It's not like they've simply slid off They're completely going the wrong way He moves on and he tells us that not only is there confidence because of our position in Christ, not only is there a responsibility that we have to one another as we see one another falling into various sins. But he says there is also an expectation in our family. The expectation is that we will live righteously. That we will live in such a way that we demonstrate the holiness of the greatness of our God verse 18 we know that whoever is born of God does not sin. and he doesn't mean that nobody's going to sin but what he does mean is that people who are born of God are not going to walk away from the truth of the gospel and so when you watch somebody look at the gospel And they they tell you flat out, I don't need that kind of grace in my life. And they turn around and they walk out. He says, That is not the lifestyle of a true child of God. Members have placed their faith in Christ and they rely upon him. And while they may sin in Almost any way possible. They can't reject the gospel. They can't. But they're going to be continually learning, continually growing in their ability and in their practice of placing their faith in Christ in the midst of stressful situations. That would have, 10 years ago, led them into a fit of rage or into... A you know, another kind of sin, drinking, or turning to drugs, or 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 or. He says there's an expectation, but it's interesting as he's wrapping up. What does he turn back to? He once again actually turns back to this idea that there is confidence in our position. John is not writing so that we will read the letter to this church and go, oh man. I'm not sure I'm saved I just don't I just I I don't love people the way I should I I continually fail and he doesn't want you to despair this letter uses the word no so many times just watch how many times he's going to use it in the next couple of verses over and over again what is he saying we know something how many times do you you know dogmatically insistently say that you know something if you're not confident, like unless you're like a lawyer, like everybody else, when they're that insistent upon something, they're either you know really really stubborn, and they're like my great grandma who you know argued with my dad about something the last time we saw her, and when she was praying, she thanked God that she had a good argument with my dad again. I mean, those those type of people, you know, they're just dogmatic and they're confident about you know anything, even though there's no reason to be confident. But generally speaking. When we're this confident about something It's because there's something to be confident in And what he's saying is We're confident in our Savior It's the same thing as he's just said We're confident in our position I really thought about just naming this point We're confident in our position, point two But, you know, I thought I'd switch it up a little bit The continuing idea of verse 18 Really continues to build on this But we who have been born of God Keeps himself and the wicked one does not touch him. There's a translation translation idea here that is difficult. I think what he is saying in the end of verse 18, though, is, but he who has been born of God, that is the believer, keeps himself, not, not, not himself, but how are we kept? How is the believer kept? It's not by my own actions, right? Can I keep myself from sinning? No, I'm I'm incapable of keeping myself from sinning. Who keeps me from sinning? Yeah, the Holy Spirit, I think it's the idea is that our relationship with Jesus Christ allows you and I to go through the trials and the difficulties of life and to live in such a way that is honoring and glorifying to Christ. And so he says, we are children of God, we are born of God, and... Christ then keeps us from sin and he keeps us from the wicked one. And so we can be confident in our Savior because Christ protects the believer from the evil one. I don't have to do it. Because if I was fighting the evil one, that is Satan, in my own strength and in my own ability, I would fail every single time. And so there's confidence, there's hope in this message. Because in contrast to what the world has... What does the world do? When you're faced with sin that is unacceptable by the world, the world simply tells you, place your faith in something else that is sinful but is not unaccepted by the world. And so, they will redirect your focus to all sorts of things. You come in saying, I'm struggling with... um, pornography and what do they do they'll redirect you to be a hard-working person who makes lots of money direct your passion to something else is it bad to make lots of money and work hard no but if, if your passion and your desire is transferred from that hope of sexual favor and fulfillment whenever and however possible is transferred to making as much money and becoming as wealthy as possible in a short amount of time as possible, you are still lost. That's what the world has to offer. But it's more socially acceptable to pursue wealth than other sins. And so we are hopeless in and of ourselves, but in Christ there is confidence, there is true hope. He moves on and he says in verse 19 Not only that, but we know That we are of God And the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one What's that implying? We're of God The world's under the sway of the wicked one In other words, we're not Why? Because of what verse 18 says Christ protects us From evil And So there's confidence, there is hope for the believer that you and I have been instructed to pray for. That's how all this ties in. There is hope because Christ hears you. There is hope because Christ helps the believer in the midst of his trials. And so that is a reason why you should confidently go to the throne of God and pray for in a loving way your brother and sister in Christ who you see is failing in their life. That's what he's communicating, I believe. But not only that, in verse 20, and we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know Him who is true, and we are in Him who is true, in His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Not only does Christ protect, but our hope is found in our position in Him. Through Him, we have not, we are not under the power of the evil one. Through Christ, we have understanding and relationship with the truth. Through Christ, we know truth. How do we know it? We understand it and we're in a relationship with it. This is something that we know. And all this gives you the confidence that you and I need. See, be willing to boldly go before God and pray. In addition, I believe it ties with the last command. John's concern is that believers would love each other and that they would truly be on the path of love that leads to eternal life, and that they would avoid the path of hate that leads to condemnation. But as he writes, he realizes that a good portion of the church Never was on the path of love that led to eternal life. They'd never placed their faith in Jesus Christ. They were fakes. It's like Jeannie said this morning, they were make-believers. They weren't believers. They were fakes, and so they left. Why? Because they were never part of the true group. And as he's concluding, he says, little children keep yourselves from idols what is he saying he's saying maintain your hope maintain your hope maintain that hope that is found in Jesus Christ why because nothing else satisfies nothing else comes close to providing the hope that you and I need other than Christ And so keep yourself as far away from all these other things that promise to provide satisfaction and peace in life. The danger of leaving our mission behind is ever-present, and so maintain your hope. Many have left the hope of the gospel for false hopes. John has experienced this throughout your years of church life. You have seen this. People become disillusioned. People become frustrated with various things. And they leave. Sometimes for a while they go to a different church. Sometimes, unfortunately, they eventually leave the church completely. And John's saying, don't let that happen to you. Love, love well. Pray for one another. The danger is ever present that you could leave and turn to something else and find your hope and your place your faith in something other than the good news of Jesus Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection for your sins. And then finally he says, John commands his readers to keep themselves from idols. All this then, I think, boils down into a few statements that we can make that are theologically grounded, I believe, in the text, and then from those... I believe that there are implications for how you and I should live. I can't by any means uh, explain to you every implication of how this passage would be lived out in your life this coming week. That would take us um, far too long, and you want to go home, and I want to go home at some point. So we'll give you some ideas, and hopefully the Holy Spirit is working in your life as well. And as the Holy Spirit works in your life, and as I... I kind of talked through some of these theological ideas And the implications Hopefully you can go home and say This is an area specifically that I can uh, Seek to better grow Or better serve Christ in in this, in this coming week Believers gain confidence In knowing God How do you want to have confidence? Our confidence doesn't come By singing wishy-washy songs That we like the tune of Our confidence doesn't come because we have great friends at church. Our confidence comes as we know Christ. If you read through those last few verses, how many times does he use the word know? You think he really believes something? I think he probably believes it a little bit more than my grandma did as she had that great argument with my dad for the last time. John is like, this is rock solid, this isn't changing. Nothing is changing here And because of this He can confidently look at those Who have left the path of love that leads to eternal life And have joined the false gospels And he says They're not part of us How can he be so confident It's not cool in our culture And it wasn't cool in his culture either To be that dogmatic And to be like There are, there are people that are right And there are people that are wrong That's, that's never popular That is never cool Never in society Since the fall Has it been cool For somebody to say That this group is right And this group is wrong How can he be so confident? It's because He knows His God Your confidence And the trials That will come in 2021 Must be grounded In the knowledge Of who God is Prayer Is effective An effective prayer Is based on a relationship With the Lord Believers are responsible For praying for one another Specifically in the context He says we demonstrate our love For one another by praying for one another When we see one another Falling into sin Not the sin of rejecting Christ completely But All the other sins that we experience anger lust and so on and so forth believers avoid rejecting the Lord and believers maintain their hope in the Lord so what do we how do we practically live out some of these truths I think one of the things that you and I must do is we must preach and live out the truth of the gospel to ourselves on a daily basis Sometimes we think that the unbelievers out there, and out there, and out there, and out there, they need the gospel preached to them. But I've already heard the gospel, and I don't need it. But that is not John's idea. He is preaching the gospel to people who he says, you are part of the in-group, you're not part of the out-group, because the out-group left, because they're never part of the in-group. You and I are in desperate need of the gospel. We need to remind ourselves of these truths that John says. We know these things. Why? Because they're desperately important for you and I. We must preach the truths of the gospel. But it's not enough to just preach the truths. We must live the truths of the gospel. Secondly, we engage in purposeful conversation. Paul, or John is asserting that You have the right And you have the responsibility To boldly approach God in prayer And when you do so He hears you And not only does he hear you He answers you But he, but he quickly moves on And he goes I'm, I'm not really focused primarily On your personal requests About all that Ails you and concerns you At least not in this context In this context, I'm primarily concerned about your brothers and sisters in Christ who are stepping off the path of love and they look like they might be leaving the faith because their sin is against God. And how are you going to know that and be able to pray for them unless you're engaging in conversation that's deeper than it snowed today. Did you notice that the snow looked different today? Okay? I'm not saying don't do that. The snow did look different. It was cool. Okay, But if that's all we talk about when we gather for worship, and when we fellowship, and we don't talk about the heartaches and the trials and the difficulties and the temptations that we're facing, and all we talk about is how cool the snow looked today, because it looked like hail almost instead of like snow, I can't effectively pray for you and you can't effectively pray for me. So you have to have conversations that are deeper and more meaningful than simply, hey, the snow was really weird today. I mean that's a great starting point, okay? You're not gonna go up to somebody you just met last this Sunday morning and be like, hey, did you know this sin in my life and this sin and this is a real big stressor point in my life, and hey, could you pray about this too? Like I get it, okay? You're gonna start with the snow is like weird and you're gonna move from there into a relationship that's more meaningful. But you have to be working towards a more meaningful relationship. Next year at this time, when it snows a weird snow, that's not the primary uh, and end goal of your conversation. There's more to it at some point. It It doesn't have to necessarily be here, but at some point when a trial is going on, there needs to be a conversation that's deeper than the snow looked weird. Okay? Intercede for <coughs> your brothers and sisters in Christ. After you have those purposeful conversations, and you know about the trials, and you know about the difficulties in each other's life, and, and, and it might be a physical trial. I'm not demeaning or stating that the physical trials are not difficult. Physical trials provide really big opportunities for f- spiritual trials, Right? Because in the middle of a health crisis, what happens? You begin to question all sorts of things that you know about God, right? And it's appropriate and proper for us in the midst of somebody's health trial to pray that they would remain faithful spiritually. Because that physical trial, that physical ailment is no longer just a physical ailment it begins to bring up questions that we see the psalmist bring up as he faces physical trials. Somebody who is single and wants to get married and has been single for you know, 15 years after they pass marriageable age, that is an immense trial. And it naturally happens that they will begin to ask questions about the goodness of God. Somebody who gets married and is married for five years and is unable to have a child, And they've been trying for five years Begins to ask questions about the goodness of God Does the Bible have answers? Yes Five years ago would they have given those answers To somebody facing that situation? Yes, they probably knew those answers But In the midst of the physical trial It becomes a spiritual trial as well Unless we have meaningful conversations We can't intervene for one another in prayer as we should. And then finally, we protect our own walk with God by maintaining our hope. It's interesting, John doesn't say, leave the idols. What does he say? Keep away from the idols. The idols are out there. You might not be involved in pursuing all the other hopes and places and objects of your faith that you and I could pursue the danger is always real that we could s- accidentally or slowly walk into a false hope or a false faith. And so be careful. Keep your guard up. Protect yourself. Keep yourself from all the false hopes that are out there in the world. To present themselves as such great delicacies. And yet, once you provide yourself to them, they ensnare you and keep you from pursuing and loving and developing a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we do thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you that you hear us. We thank you that not only do you hear us, but you also answer our prayers. We thank you for the fact that you have given us and have shown us as you lived among us and as you've recorded your letters to us how we should live and love before one another we pray that we would seek to love one another not only physically but also in this area of prayer we thank you for who you are and pray that you would help us to live lives that are honoring and glorifying to you this coming week in your name we pray amen, amen. amen.